Good morning, and welcome to Kirkpatrick Memorial, the Presbyterian Church in the heart of Ballyhackamore in East Belfast. My name is Christoph Ebbinghaus, and I'm the minister in this church. Whether you're listening across the province, the island, or the world, we're delighted that you've chosen to come and join with us today. This part of the city's undergone a pretty remarkable transformation in recent years. It's gained such a reputation for its cafes and restaurants that it's been dubbed Bally Snackamore. The local business association have even created a Bally Snackamore food tour to cater for the crowds coming to enjoy the wonderful food. We have gathered here this morning to enjoy the richest food of all. We're here to meet with Jesus Christ. Jesus once told his disciples, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. We're a community of people who have found Jesus true to his word. We've come to him for life, and we've discovered that he can satisfy our deepest longings and needs. This morning, we're very mindful of other communities in Paris and throughout France who have experienced shocking events in the last 48 hours. We'll be remembering them and praying for them later in our service. At a time when there's so much that we don't understand, when life seems so entirely out of control, we want to come to our God and declare our trust in him. We'll do that with the words of this opening hymn, Jesus is Lord. Thank you. 
Let us pray. Father God, creator of all, Jesus, the God who saves, Holy Spirit, God present among us just now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we celebrate your presence here and we worship you today. Thank you for who you are, so full of grace and mercy and kindness. Thank you for these incredible lives that you've given us with so much opportunity for beauty and joy and love. Thank you that you've made us for you and given us each other. The richness that you offer is beyond our ability to receive. Lord, as you look on us this morning, you'll see many of us struggling our way through life. We're burdened by our failures and the despondency they breed. We're burdened, too, by our successes and the growing expectations they bring. This weekend, we've been reminded that we're living in a broken world full of broken people who can do each other great harm. Jesus, you came to be the bread of life to us. Forgive us for settling for junk food when we could have a feast. Forgive us for chasing after food that spoils when all the while you offer us the food that endures to eternal life. Help us to come to you to receive all that you have to give so that we might never be hungry again and so that our thirst may finally be quenched. We pray this in your great and beautiful name. Amen. Let's continue to worship him. Jesus shall take the highest honor. This morning we're going to read a couple of short passages from the first chapter of John's Gospel. 
These two passages together tell us a great deal about Jesus Christ. They tell us what he's all about. The first passage, beginning in verse 29, gives us our first introduction to the person of Jesus in John's Gospel. It's going to be read for us this morning by Rachel Henry. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? I wonder, did you notice how our reading ended? It ended rather abruptly with a question. What do you want? I'm sure you've been asked that question before. You'll know that it can seem almost rude. Maybe you've knocked on a door or made a phone call and the other person's barked these words back at you. What do you want? They can make us feel like an unwelcome intruder. But that's not always the case. Sometimes these words can be just the words we need to hear. Like when we're lost in the aisle at Tesco or Asda and the sales assistant asks us, can I help? What are you looking for? What do you want? Or when we go to the GP because we're struggling with their health and they ask us, what's the matter? What do you want? In the old days, it used to be popular to have Bibles with the words of Jesus printed in red. If you used one of those Bibles and began to read John's Gospel, you'd find that the first words in red, Jesus' first words in the whole Gospel, are these words right here. Jesus asks these couple of guys who are following him, what do you want? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question when Jesus Christ is the one asking it. You see, different people want different things from Jesus. Some of them, us want him to save us. We gather that he was the most loving person, and we'd like to experience his love. We gather that he healed sick people. Well, who of us wouldn't like to be well, or for our family and our friends to be well? Having watched the scenes from Paris on our TVs over the weekend, who wouldn't want to see our broken world made new? We've maybe even heard that he can forgive sins, that he can deal with our troubled consciences and bring us peace. Many of us are longing for just that. Many of us are looking for Jesus to save us, to rescue us from the state that we're in. While some of us come to Jesus looking for a savior, others come looking for a teacher. We come with a growing realization 
that our lives are short on meaning and purpose. Doing the job, paying the bills, watching catch-up TV and going on holiday once or twice a year just isn't cutting it anymore. We want to change, to grow. We're looking for someone to follow, someone who'll inspire us, someone who'll teach us how to live better and to love more. We're looking for someone who'll show us how to be all that we were intended to be. We're looking for a teacher. So some want a teacher, some want a savior. We're a very diverse audience here this morning, aren't we? Those of us gathered here in East Belfast and those of us scattered across the world, even with our diverse expectations, we have this one thing in common. We're interested in Jesus Christ. We're a bit like John's two disciples who followed after him. And Jesus' question is every bit as important for us today as it was for his contemporaries back then. Jesus Christ still asks, what do you want? In just a few verses in the middle of the first chapter of his gospel, John begins to deal with that question. It's as though he's saying, so you're interested in Jesus Christ? Well, here's what you can expect. He begins to show us what Jesus is all about. John shows us why Jesus came and what difference Jesus makes for anyone who believes. He introduces us to Jesus by telling us of the day when John the Baptist first met him in the Judean wilderness. John the Baptist was a rugged prophet type who baptized people in the Jordan River In our reading, John, the gospel writer, records the reaction of John the Baptist when he first saw Jesus of Nazareth coming his way. He calls him the Lamb of God. I don't know what kind of images a lamb brings to mind for you. A cuddly toy? A Jamie Oliver recipe? It wouldn't have meant either of those things to John's audience that day. Any first century Jew would tell you that the lamb stands for forgiveness. For centuries, lambs had been sacrificed in worship. It reminded people that God had a way of dealing with sin. So when John pointed to Jesus and said, look, the lamb of God, he was saying, there he goes. The one through whom God's going to deal with your sin and mine and the sin of this troubled, broken world. Jesus' whole life, but particularly his death and resurrection, would show that John the Baptist was right on the money. This morning, Jesus Christ asks us, what do you want? And John in his gospel shows us what Jesus has to offer. He offers to save us. He's the Lamb of God who willingly lays down his life for us. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's no limit to the ways in which Jesus wants to save us. God's people, Israel, they'd grown accustomed to God's salvation working in all sorts of ways. Way back in the Psalms, their ancient prayer book, God's people celebrated the God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. The Jesus we read about in the Gospels, well, he poured out his life loving and healing people needy and broken people. 
It was only after he had lived his whole life for them that he went to the cross to die for them and save them from their sins. There's a powerful scene towards the end of the blockbuster Titanic movie. Rose, the heroine of the story, now as an older lady, reminisces. She thinks back to Jack, the young man she'd spent those heady days with on board the ship of dreams. The young man who'd rescued her from the ice-cold water all those years ago. A man who brought all kinds of healing into her otherwise broken life. When she thinks back to Jack and the impact he had had on her life, she describes him in the most remarkable terms. She says, He saved me in all the ways that a person can be saved. That's Jesus Christ. He's the one who can forgive us our sins and make us into the people God always intended us to be. He can save us in all the ways that we need to be saved. It's because he willingly died in our place that Jesus was able to save us. His cross gives us a new place to stand.
Just now we're going to have a second Bible reading, continuing to get to know Jesus Christ as he's presented in John chapter 1. Verses 35 to 43 will be read for us by Esther Chapman. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. We're gathered today in this building and around our radios and devices with a common interest in Jesus Christ. Even with that common interest, we can have diverse expectations of what we might find in him. So we're focusing on a question that Jesus Christ once asked, what do you want? It's the first question he asked in John's gospel of the first people who chose to follow him. It's a question he still asks anyone who comes to him today. Some of us are looking for a savior. We've already seen that our intuitions and expectations are spot on. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He came to take away the sins of the world. He came to save us in all the ways that a person can be saved. But what about those of us who are looking for a teacher? Are we right to come to Jesus Christ? Well, According to John's gospel, we're spot on too. Jesus is a teacher whom we must follow. John begins by telling us of two of Jesus' first followers in verse 38. They call Jesus rabbi, which means teacher. They have realized that this is a person from whom they could learn how to live. But their understanding of Jesus doesn't end there. Andrew? One of the two, when he's inviting his brother Simon to come and meet their newfound friend, tells him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. Andrew is starting to believe that Jesus of Nazareth might just be God's promised king. The one they and their fathers had been waiting for all their lives. Towards the end of the chapter, we have Nathaniel in one sentence claim that Jesus is a great teacher the Messiah, and the Son of God. Rabbi, he says, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. Notice what these guys do when they begin to realize who Jesus is. Among them is Israel's long-promised king 
the son of the living God, the one who can teach them better than any other how to live. So what do they do? They follow him. It begins in verse 37, when two of John's disciples literally start following after Jesus. When they ask him where he's staying, they're basically saying, we'd like to come with you. We'd like to be where you are. Can we join you? Come on ahead, Jesus says. Come and you'll see. And they spend the rest of that day with him. By the way, what Jesus was doing here wasn't weird. This was common enough. In the culture of Jesus' day, there were many religious teachers or rabbis. They'd take applications from young men who wanted to be their disciples, who'd want to learn their teachings and also learn how to be like their rabbi. Andrew and Simon and Philip and the others, they would have understood exactly what was going on here. Jesus was gathering his apprentices. They were going to learn from Jesus so that they could be like Jesus and start to do the things that Jesus does. That's what happens when a rabbi takes disciples. This passage we have read this morning is only the beginning of these guys' journey with Jesus. When we read on in the story, we see that they struggled to emulate their teacher. He was wise, they were foolish. He was courageous, they were chicken. He lived a life of sacrificial love. They cared mostly about themselves. If you flick on a little further still in the story, you'll find them totally changed. The disciples of Jesus Christ that you read about later in the New Testament bear only a passing resemblance to the disciples we read about in the Gospels. Something had changed. They'd seen something. They'd experienced something. And their lives were changed forever. There's a wonderful scene in the first of the Hobbit movies where the dwarves are just getting to know their mysterious new leader, Thorin Oakenshield. During one conversation where the dwarves were showing a particular lack of respect for their new leader, Balin, the oldest of the dwarfs, speaks up. He tells them why he has such respect for Thorin. He tells how he'd seen Thorin in the Battle of Moriah against the worst of enemies. He'd seen his courage when all others failed. He'd seen his willingness to sacrifice even his own life if he had to. Balin told the dwarfs of what he had seen that day and also of what he thought as he looked on the young Thorin. There is one I could follow. There is one I could call king. What changed Jesus' disciples from faithless, fearful failures into the small band that eventually turned the Roman Empire in its head? They'd come to see their leader in a new light. They'd seen him face the worst of foes. They'd seen him crucified on a Roman cross. They'd seen his courage, his sacrifice, and his love. This Lamb of God, as he took away the sins of the world. And when he rose from his grave and gathered them to him, they said with one voice, here is one we could follow. Here is one we could call king. We began this morning hearing Jesus' question when he asks, what do you want? 
John's shown us what we might appropriately expect from Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We must allow him to take ours. He's the Son of God, the Master Teacher, the King. We must give him our allegiance. Maybe the best way to finish today is to ask Jesus the same question that he's been kind enough to ask us. Jesus, what do you want? That's easy, he says. Follow me. Accept me as your lamb, sacrificed in your place that you might live. I'll show you how to live that new life to the full, if only you let me be your ruler and your king. What do I want? That's easy. Follow me.
As you've probably gathered from our service so far, at Kirkpatrick Memorial, we're all about Jesus Christ. We're keen to know everything that we can about him from God's Word, the Bible. But we're not just into coming to church or studying the Bible for the sake of it. We want God to speak to us and by his Spirit to transform us. We want to learn to live for him in the whole of life, not just our Sundays, but the other six days too. Not just when we're in church, but when we're in our homes and our neighborhoods, in our offices and all the other places God puts us. This morning we're going to take a moment to hear from one of our members how the forgiveness Jesus offers and his invitation to follow him have played out in his real and everyday life. Richie Cronin is our assistant minister. He's a very tangible reminder that the Presbyterian Church really is a whole island church. Richie's a cork man, and when you hear him speak just now, you'll know it. Richie, we've been thinking this morning about how Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Can you tell us how the forgiveness that you've found in Jesus Christ has played out in your life? Well, Christoph, let me say a few things. You see, firstly, forgiveness means that I have no need of ever being punished by God for my sins. Very important. Secondly, I'd say that forgiveness enables me to live free from the shame and guilt in my past. And I'm not just referring to the distant past either, but yesterday and this morning and so on. Perhaps I could summarize it best by saying that because I know that forgiveness offers me in Jesus Christ, I can live today without being shaped by the rubbish of yesterday. So that's the big picture. Now let me talk for a second about the practice of forgiveness, both forgiving others and receiving it. These are very real areas where I think I can see Jesus making a huge difference. Take, for example, my relationship with my wife. I love her and she loves me, but we both hurt and fail each other all the time. Some people respond to this reality within relationships by talking about give and take, uh, nobody's perfect, you've got to compromise, marriage is 50-50, and that's all fine. They have their place. But I find forgiveness is the most powerful thing for engendering feelings of love, real love, and making space for new acts of love to happen again. Forgiveness does this by enabling you to face towards the person who sinned against you and not be controlled by their failure. And likewise, forgiveness enables you to move towards the person you have hurt, knowing that because they forgive you, they look at you with complete acceptance. Basically, as a Christian who's been forgiven by Jesus, I'm learning to practice forgiveness, and my life and my family's life is all the better for it. Thanks for that, Richie. We've been saying today that this same Jesus Christ who saves us from our sins and forgives us calls us to follow him. Can you tell us how God's forgiveness is helping you in your desire to follow Jesus Christ? Well, you see, the promise of forgiveness for our sins is at the heart of the gospel. One problem the church has, though, is thinking that the gospel is only for becoming a Christian. Nothing could be further from the truth. If I accept that I'm a sinner, and I accept that I'm forgiven by God, that actually 
radically changes how I live every single day of my life. Let me give you an example. Last week, I had an idea, and I took it to my colleagues, and they very gently showed me that perhaps the idea wasn't workable. No. There was a time in my life where something like that would have resulted in me feeling like a failure, beating myself up a bit and shutting down. But because of the gospel, three three things are true which change how I deal with any failure, any one of them. Firstly, I have a tendency to grant legitimacy to things I come up with simply because I came up with them. But if I believe I'm a sinner, then I have a healthy mistrust of what I do. When my colleagues challenged me, I wasn't surprised, and I was able to hear it. Secondly, because God has forgiven me, I can now truthfully call myself one of his sons. My performance is no longer the thing from which I gain my identity. My failures don't control how I view myself or how I feel. And thirdly and lastly and more importantly, I know that God loves me and his love is of more importance to me than anything else. The more I'm secure in God's love, the less my opinion of myself and others' opinion of me matters. Now, people react to failure in different ways. Some crumble underneath it. Some try to forget it and steam ahead, say it doesn't matter. Others deny that they've failed at all. But forgiveness of sins by God means I can face my failures and many other things in life head on and then get back to the business of loving people and loving God. Richie, thanks for sharing with us this morning. Just now, I'm going to invite one of our families, uh, Kevin and Cherith Shine, and their 10-year-old son, Noah, to come and lead us in our prayers for others. God has given his people the incredible privilege of speaking to him through prayer. He will hear and respond to those who draw near him in humble faith. Let us pray. Father God, on Friday night, in the midst of an evening out with friends and loved ones such as we all would enjoy, hundreds of Parisians, indeed the whole city, suffered a terrible act of terrorism. Today, we weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, as your word commands. God of all comfort, you know the pain of losing your son. Be with the bereaved in Paris today. God of all healing, let your hand rest upon the injured. We thank you for the security forces and medical personnel who risk their lives responding to events. God of wisdom, we pray for your spirit to guide the French government and other governments around Europe as they consider their responses to these attacks. God of judgment, we pray against those who planned and condoned the attacks. We pray that your powerful and merciful hand would prevent further such attacks. God of hope, use your church in France, around Europe, and in the Middle East to share your love and grow your kingdom of peace, even at this dark hour. We think specifically of the continued violence often directed against our Christian brothers and sisters in Iraq and in Syria. God of freedom, you alone can give ultimate freedom from fear and from hatred. May the death and resurrection of your Son usher in the liberty, the justice, the brotherhood that we in our sinfulness cannot achieve. 
And Lord, we pray for our own area of East Belfast. We thank you for the many blessings we receive from your hands living here. We pray that you would graciously lead and guide all those who have influence and responsibility in our community. May they seek to honor you in their decisions and choices. We ask you to comfort those around us whose lives are in turmoil, sadness, or pain. Lord, bring them your loving comfort. May you, in your rich mercy, use your people in Ballyhackamore to show our friends and neighbors how great you are. We thank you that you are Lord here, as you are Lord of the whole earth. Thank you, God, for our schools, where our teachers help us to learn more about your world. Help us as pupils to honour our teachers and work hard. Thank you for church, where together as friends, we can grow more like Jesus. And thank you for our families who protect and provide for us. Most importantly, we praise you for the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you that we can always trust you to be with us. Amen. As our service draws to a close this morning, I'd like to say it's been a privilege to have you join with us at Kirkpatrick Memorial. We hope you've enjoyed worshipping God with us. We hope too that you've enjoyed thinking with us about Jesus Christ and the difference he can make in our lives. May you walk through this life with great freedom in the knowledge that the Lamb has taken your sin. May you walk through this life with great joy, experiencing life to the full, because you've decided to follow Jesus.